What's up, Seamus? Hey, Will. How you doing? Dude, we're in sunny Los Angeles. These uh, northeastern dudes are, are, are living the Hollywood life. It's sunny. You know, today it was sunny, but I've been here for a couple of weeks. This is like the first sunny day we've had. So I, <laughs> I'm I, enjoying it. I was sold a, a faulty bill of goods when I came out to Los Angeles and found out that I'd never heard of Gray <laughs> May or June Gloom, which apparently is something that Angelinas talk about all the time. It's it's rigged. But yeah, yeah I, it's actually... It's actually hotter in Pittsburgh than it is in Los yeah, Angeles today. But today was beautiful. I went for a mountain bike ride today, and it was stunning. That's awesome. Yeah. So today's guest is pretty stunning as well. Oh, he's amazing. And speaking of bikes, I got to meet our guest today riding a bike together. And when I was riding with him, he wasn't riding just any bike, but he was riding a hand cycle. His name is Andre Kylik. He's an incredible endurance athlete and a double amputee. So he lost both of his legs when he was hit by a subway train studying abroad in 2003. Um, one of his amputations is above the knee. The other one is um, he doesn't have a femur, and, and I think it's his left leg. He doesn't have a femur in it. But he didn't let that slow him down for a second. He's now the first and only hand cycle athlete to complete the race across America solo, which is one of the most terrifying and grueling things a human can do. And he's the first and only wheelchair athlete to complete three Ironman triathlons. This guy is tough. Andre talked about how his accident helped him find his passion for racing and how he built a new philosophy on dedication and commitment. And he showed us how he can push through mental barriers to overcome the challenges we face in life. In true Andre fashion, he sat down with us to record on a pit stop, if you will, during his race of the Tour of California. So he's out there in front of the pros uh, racing all the stages of the Tour of California. He's got two stages left. Today he did like 100 miles and 11,000 feet of climbing on his hand cycle. The dude is nuts. Yeah, and we said, hey, can you make it to the studio? <laughs> <laughs> and he came, which was pretty awesome. Yeah, and he was like, I'm, you know, just to warn you guys, I'm a little fried. I'm not gonna, I may not be that animated. And he was amazing. He's a motivational speaker too. So we learned a lot from him today. Let's get into it. All right, welcome back to the Goofellas podcast. Dr. Will, how are hey. you? Hey, man. I'm excited for this conversation. Yeah, I'm super stoked. We've got my friend Andre Kylik in the house today. He is an incredible athlete, and um, he's a little fried because he's on day what? What day? How a day? Yeah, is stage five of uh, Tour of California. Stage five. Just of, finished. Yeah, and for the mortals out there who don't understand what <laughs> Tour of California is, tell us a little bit about what it is exactly. Yeah, so it's a professional bike race. Uh, takes place in California every year, and it's by far the biggest um, that we have. I mean, top top teams from Europe are, are over here. And, mm -hmm. uh, this year is especially brutal. Uh, we've probably done near 600 miles in the last five days. Uh, probably, yeah, um, 50 plus thousand feet climbing so far. And, uh, I'm part of a Carmichael training, uh, systems team mm -hmm. that they put together. So we, we go out ahead of the pros and ride the courses and yeah, we ride them pretty hard. I mean, as hard as we can mm -hmm. and then get to watch the pros come in. That's wow. insane. And for uh, you guys who are not in the studio, so what you don't understand is that Andre's not doing this on a conventional bicycle. He doesn't have legs. So you're doing it with your arms, which makes it even harder. Yeah. I mean, I think it does. <laughs> I, uh, I found myself today, you know, in the lead group riding, you know, we did, I don't know, 110 today or so. There's over 10,000 feet. And uh, found myself thinking it's pretty cool that I'm, you know, mm -hmm. hanging with, with yeah. guys. I mean, I'm not hanging with pros and some of these guys could you know drop me when they wanted but we're running pretty pretty hard and fast hard. and yeah i don't there's there's not too many people on hand cycles doing that so no, yeah. feel special yeah, yeah. <laughs> why, not? why not take yeah. us back to 
when before you were at amputee and the accident for people that don't know can you take us through that yeah, uh, let's see, and in about 2003, I had just been kind of hopping around from university to, you know, wanting to be a professional golfer to mm-hmm. framing houses, like all sorts of different things, and I uh, decided to uh, just kind of get out of the environment, I was just partying a lot, and uh, wanted to kind of explore the world, so I'd headed over to uh, Charles University in Prague. Uh, my dad's from Slovakia mm-hmm. and had studied there in the 60s, and so it seemed like why not? <laughs> Let's go check out another part of the world. And, you know, luckily I was, you know, able to do something like that. And parents mm-hmm. were supportive. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of bad habits kind of stuck with me. And I'd been over there for five months, having just the time of my life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I think in a lot, in many meaningful ways, just, you know, fun conversations, learning about, you know, different parts of, of the world through friends that I was making. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, a pretty typical party night. And, you know, we went out, partied pretty hard, went to breakfast in the morning. Uh, you know, definitely was, was uh, you know, drunk in, in, my, in my normal phase at, you know, that point of the night. But, you know, I remember going to breakfast and leaving and saying goodbye to uh, one of my Finnish friends, Riku. He headed his way home and I headed mine. And for me, it's three weeks later and I wake up in a hospital uh, and I had wow. been uh, run over by a subway train. Wow. So you were in a coma for three weeks. Yeah. When you woke up, was that the first time that you, you, you didn't have consciousness when you first were hit, correct? You correct. I don't, I don't remember uh, what happens uh, at that, at that uh, subway stop. Mm-hmm. There's a, a, a bit of a hill and a curve as the stage opens up and I was just right there at the beginning. Um, yeah. So the the driver, you know, could really only phone, phone it in, and you know we have pictures of of them kind of staring down the cracks between the platform and the last train, and they detached it and pulled me out. Wow! And just, I mean, the amount of time, like how fast could they have possibly gotten there yeah, and gotten right. me out? Um, and so yeah, I was I was in bad shape. I mean, I lost both legs, but you know the rest of me was was mm-hmm. pretty severe severe injuries too. So when you woke up from the coma, what was that? like in that realization of the extent of your injuries it was bizarre i mean i yeah. i kind of came into consciousness through some some dreams mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. there was one i was on this big mechanical it was like a building on tractor treads and i was walking between parallel bars and clearly like in some form of rehab and my family was there on like one of these one of these platforms watching me uh, and then I was being bathed and as I went down these slip and slides and uh-huh. uh, people were washing me and then someone tried to sign me up for a haircut and I said, okay, sure. <laughs> Made the time and I was like, ha, I'm not coming back. And the next thing I was at a um, sort of a guard booth and for some reason, it was in, in my mind, I remember it as like North Korean security and uh, they wouldn't let me through because I didn't have my uh, passport. And so I'm arguing, like, I got to go. And finally he says, all right, I'm going to let you go through here. Uh, but you can't tell anybody. Uh-huh. And uh, clearly I've broken that many times <laughs> by now. But he let me go. And and next thing I know is, you know, I'm, a, uh, I'm awake and alive and just trying to figure out what, what the hell's going on. Wow. How long were you in Prague before you came back to the States? I was in Prague for uh, two months. Uh-huh. And, you know, my family flew over immediately. My dad was a physician and he was from... You know, Slovakia, he spoke Czech and was able to assess the care. 
and it was really in a, a good, you know, it was the military hospital was mm-hmm. the closest one. And they, you know, saved my life and uh, I wasn't stable enough to move anyways. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so in two months, I mean, I still went out, you know, on a stretcher, was knocked out for two plane rides home and went straight to the ICU at Harborview in Seattle. Uh-huh. And then that's kind of where like your new life begins. But it, I, I remember talking, we were on a bike ride a few months ago and we were talking about this and kind of still stuck for a little while, weren't you? Yeah. I mean, I'm generally pretty carefree and optimistic. Uh-huh. I mean, I had had a good childhood, you know, and uh, if, if I wasn't this optimistic, you'd probably hate me. <laughs> right. uh, and coming out of, out of that, even in the hospital, I mean, there was this kind of underlying optimism. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it came from stories of, I, I couldn't think of specific stories, but I just knew, you know, people out there had gone through horrible, you know, tra- traumatic injuries and changed lives and still went on to, to do great things. Yeah. Uh, but after going home, you know, that's when things got difficult. You mm-hmm. know, it's like the hospital's made for someone, uh, you know, getting around in a wheelchair. And um, when I went home, it, it was really frustrating. Just going out in public, you know, was, was a challenge that right. I kind of had to get over, like how I look. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and all of those are things that, that taught me, you know, extremely important lessons. Uh, I think they're things a lot of people face anyways, but I mm-hmm. just was confronted with them in such an unavoidable way uh, and and was able to, you know, carry on. And the, the thing that was really making things difficult for me was sort of the, the outlook of doctors and, mm-hmm. and prosthetists. They didn't really think I would be able to walk. And right. in my mind, that's what what I wanted to do. And I wanted to go back to Prague and mm-hmm. I saw what it would be like, you know, in, in a wheelchair there, just how difficult a, a landscape and city it is. So that was, that was my goal. But yeah, I kept being held back by this, um, you know, this sort of like pit of despair. And mm-hmm. uh, I found myself crying a lot and um, just asking, asking questions that, that didn't have a, like a real world answer. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why this have to happen? Right. Why couldn't things be different? Mm-hmm. And just, wanting it to be different. Right. And that's that's kind of where I, I sat for a while and it took a good 10 months to mm-hmm. to get past that. But when I did, yeah, I mean, that was that was really the start of, of the adventure. Fair, but how did you even begin to move past that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're, you're gonna have to go through a process, you know, mm-hmm. for, for most difficult things in life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and it really was, you know, over those 10 months, it was spending time in the in the in the dark place and mm-hmm. uh it was 10 months later i was on a trip with friends i had a my own motel room mm-hmm. i had just started walking with legs and i was using forearm crutches um i'm missing one leg above the knee and one at the hip so i have no femur so it's extremely it's difficult high level and yeah, difficult yeah. i mean they they actually brought me in eventually to walter reed to work with soldiers because they weren't able to get them walking mm. uh and I, I sat in my room crying that night and I uh, just found myself in the same place. You know, I was like, mm-hmm. I actually realized that I was taking comfort in it. Um, and I was so, uh, I was scared about the future. I was really more scared uh, about being happy again mm-hmm. and just living a good life than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wanted it so bad. I still wanted to have a good life. So I was really looking for a way to get there. How old were you at this point? I was 23. Wow. Uh, and so, you know, in that, in that, that night, in those moments, I just started thinking like, okay, you know, none of this is helping me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, sh- you know, sure it's probably good to get it all out and, 
Um, it's, it's probably normal, but what is the most productive attitude that I could have? What is the way? There's got to be a way, you know, mm-hmm. to to make the most of this. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just came up with with this, you know, thought that the the best thing I can do is just try my best. Mm-hmm. You know, just try to learn to to walk as well as I can, and just go and see what I can do with what I what I have and mm-hmm. who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I felt like if I fully embraced uh, taking taking on life and just exploring it, that there were still infinite things for me to do. Mm-hmm. And it just clicked. And I mean, I fully I fully accepted that as the right attitude, as the mm-hmm. right mindset. Um, I convinced myself. Mm-hmm. And since that night, I mean, it was, what is it, 15 years ago now? Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't been sad for a minute about losing my legs. I mean, right. from that night on, it's just been like, all right, this is, this yeah. is what it is. And uh-huh. uh, you can still have a beautiful life. And you know, so it, far, it's been good. Was it just acceptance of what was, or did you find that deeper meaning, the answer to the <clears throat> questions that you didn't have answers for before? Yeah, I think it was it was acceptance that that there wasn't anything I could do about those questions. I, I just couldn't change it. All right, this is what you're dealing with. Um, the I think the deeper thing was was um, it was it was just a sense of of what the approach was forward, and it's it's a bit hard to articulate. You know exactly what what that stream what what's the sentence of the solution, um, but it was just go fucking live a good life, right. you know, mm-hmm. go try, go be the best you, you can be. Um, I mean, a lot of the problems that I, that I have are the same ones I, you know, dealt with before. Right. And there's, there's a struggle to that. And, and those challenges, um, you know, make all the difference, not giving up on any, mm-hmm. on any little one. Mm-hmm. How did sport come into your life? Uh, I mean, growing up, I did everything and mm-hmm. I was like high school. I played five sports and I'm talking golf to football, to cross country <laughs> Um, I was a snowboarder, skier when I was uh, really little, and a uh, windsurfer, so just like all over the place. Never really focused. Mm-hmm. After the accident, um, I was I was encouraged to take on you know some wheelchair sports or different things, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't interested at all. Uh, my feeling was that I'd be doing the things that I was good at and loved in this reduced capacity, right. and that it that just wouldn't be fun. Uh, but. I'd swam a little bit just to get in shape. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first time I jumped in in the pool, my family was there. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> yeah. if I don't come up. Just be ready to <laughs> jump in. Uh, luckily, I float very well, uh, and I was always a strong swimmer. Yeah. Um, but when I went back to Prague, uh, which which I did about a year and a half after the accident, uh-huh. I mean, that was the thing that like got me got me going, gave me my drive. It's just mm-hmm. like. How about instead of all these athletic things, I just go pick up where I left off. Like that would uh-huh. make me satisfied. Yeah, uh, which I did. And my first night in Prague after a road trip from Lisbon um, with some friends, my European, you know, friends and girlfriends all like flew in. And that first night we went out and it happened just because of where we were going. Take the subway at the same exact platform. Holy shit! Where the accident happened. And what uh, was that like? It was. It felt so good. I yeah, mean, it yeah. was a flag in the ground, uh-huh. just like I made it back. Yeah, and uh, you know that's what that's that's what I had done. So wow. it felt really good. That's awesome. But when I uh, was living in Prague then for I mean almost four more years, uh, there wasn't there wasn't a lot of exposure to to different sports. Um, you know, for someone like me, it's it's you don't just grab a pair of 
tennis shoes and you're an athlete mm-hmm. and it's a little bit it's a little bit more complicated and a little bit more expensive than right. that so one of the things that i'd always wanted was a hand cycle felt uh-huh. like okay it'd be a cool way to get some speed and uh, a little bit you know uh, removed from the stigma around a wheelchair mm-hmm. can you yeah. t- just sort of explain to us how it differs from a wheelchair yeah so a wheelchair you know like like the one i rolled in here is just your everyday wheelchair mm-hmm. this one's a hell of a lot nicer than sort of the hospital wheelchair yeah but you're pushing the wheels a push rim around them with your hands mm-hmm. a racing wheelchair that you've probably seen yep. in the uh, paralympics going around the tracks is really very similar just that it has a single wheel up front extended okay and you sort of strike the side of the wheels mm-hmm. there's a push rim on that um and that's your you know you have that one gear is sort of the size of your push rim. Oh. On a hand cycle, it's it's really functioning just like a bike. I mean, almost all the components are straight off a bike. It's just that the the drive wheel is up front, mm-hmm. and your um, your your drive train is upside down, so it's mm-hmm. in front of you and spinning the other way. Right. And uh, they're they're both faster than running. I mean, a racing wheelchair is a little bit more like cycling than than uh, than running would mm-hmm. be. Um, but the hand cycles are, you know, I keep breaking them. I'm waiting for, <laughs> you know, they haven't had quite as many years of development. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, they're they're fun and they can cruise for sure. Yeah. I've watched you riding together and it's amazing. We're going down to big descent. You're not on the brake at all. You're still on the, on the cranks. And places where cyclists would be like, all right, I'm going to feather the brakes. I've got to, you know, prepare for this corner or whatever. Yeah. You're still going, you're still pedaling along. Yeah. And then you grab, grab a handful of brake and you get back to the pedals and keep pedaling. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's that the one time I get to I get to blow by all the yeah. all the cyclists, and mm-hmm. there's been some really good, really big descents on this tour. Yeah. So, but race across America. I mean, this is something that is for anyone on you know even an elite athlete training for the race across America. It it's something that's just absolutely extraordinary. How many miles a day is it? It's 250 miles a day or something. Yeah, like 250 plus to make the yeah. the cutoff. To make the cutoff. Um, you were the only hand cycle solo athlete ever to do the ram correct yeah yeah so far um the only one to ever qualify uh and complete but you didn't, solo. You didn't qualify the first time right you, you you tried it took me some some years um i got back from prague and i met some guys who were bilateral double you know bilateral amputees mm-hmm. and they were going down to this charity triathlon in san diego challenge mm-hmm. athletes foundation and so really just purely because it was cool to hang out with these guys mm-hmm. they had just different conversations than you know your typical person right and usually getting grilled with all these questions yeah, you know yeah. about what is that how does that work um and just to be able to cut through that with someone who has shared experience so right. i just wanted to hang out so i went down i did this triathlon and i loved it you know and it was kind of the community all the guys were sort of you know teaching me and showing me you know what's up uh and from there i was just like i need more you know what else mm-hmm. can i do um, so I saw Kona, you know, Ironman World Championships, and some guys had done it in hand cycles. So I was like, okay, that, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so by the next year, um, it was October to October, exactly, um, I had qualified and um, completed my first uh, Kona Ironman, which I did no three way. times. Wow. And from there, it was just, you know, snowball. It was right. like, I was on the U.S. Um, paratriathlon team, uh, racing at ITU Worlds in, you know, Beijing, then Auckland, then London. And I liked the the long stuff. I just found myself drawn to the adventure and the unknown. Mm-hmm. I just started taking on races that nobody had had attempted before. Um, I, the first one I did was in Brazil. It's called the Brazil 135, which is a, a running race, mm-hmm. all off-road, 33,000 feet in 135 miles. Wow. So, so it's, you, And you did this in an off-road uh, hand cycle? 
Yeah, I mean, I I had this old crappy racing wheelchair that I'd bought out of the back of a truck from some guy, mm-hmm. and I just hammered out the fenders, called up um, the guys at Philwood Hubs because mm-hmm. that's that's who made the the hubs that fit other wheelchairs, and I was mm-hmm. like, hey, I got this idea. So they made me some mountain bike wheels that fit on that wheelchair. Uh-huh. Um, they got a guy to custom fabricate a front fork that would fit a kid's dirt bike tire. And it was amazing where that thing would go. Mm-hmm. So I was in Brazil just, I mean. I mean, I remember seeing yeah. pictures of you going up through the mud and barely moving. Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there was there was parts where I had, I had brought 100 feet of paracord with me. And my uh-huh. thought was, all right, if it gets too gnarly, like I could just pull the chair up the hill. <laughs> and so for a couple kilometers in like the muddy you know, washed out like yeah. jungle hill yeah. that you would, that you would uh, picture, I'd have to pull up the chair behind me. And um, I flew down to that race, just like not knowing what I was getting into. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I'm either going to love this or hate it. It's mm-hmm. going to be extreme, my reaction. And uh, it took me 62 and a half hours to finish that race. Wow. Consecutive. Yeah, consecutive. Oh my God. And, uh, and I was, yeah, the last that's, finisher. <laughs> wait a second. That's, th- that's almost four days. It's like it's, three and a half days of not sleeping. It's, and- yeah, I had, uh, I had like a 20 minute nap about 24 hours in. I was ready to quit after 24 hours. I broke <laughs> part of the chair and wow. that's my, that was my out, which, uh, which is a, let, a recurring this, theme. Let's hope this just breaks. Yeah. Something happens and, and you take yourself out. Yeah. All right. You're like, oh, you've been waiting for an excuse because yeah. of course it sucks. It's hard. Yeah. Uh, but in any case, finished that, loved it, and just kept looking for, you know, what's next. Mm-hmm. What what uh, excites me, like the first conversation about a race or an idea, it's mm-hmm. just sort of like, I have to be wowed. First of right. all, like, holy shit, people do that. <laughs> and then a little bit scared, mm-hmm. and then a little bit like, hey, I could probably figure it out. Yeah. Uh, and, then it, and then it's kind of on. So I, um, yeah, I took on Race Across America, and it took, yeah, three years just to qualify. Um, first race I quit 28 hours in like 40 miles from the finish line and I was, I was tired and inexperienced and sore. And, uh, I had this profile map, you know, in my head, which was, um, the, the, uh, coast mountains outside of, uh, San Diego. So you start in Oceanside, you go over the mountains, you go around the Salton Sea, almost out to Arizona and then back. It's 400 mile race and you have 30 hours to finish. Wow. And so, you know, I'm on my way back and uh, 32 hours to finish, sorry. So I'm 28 hours in and I just crossed the coast range again. So I'm thinking downhill to the ocean, you know, I got this thing mm-hmm. in the bag. And after the first little descent, my, my um, crew in the van starts going up this hill. I'm just like, what? You know, just like. Where did that come well, from? Uh, Not yeah, fair. We're supposed to be done. <laughs> you know, it's supposed, supposed to be, be easy downhill. from here. So I pulled over, instantly just passed out, fell asleep. And my wow. crew woke me up and I was like, yeah, I'm done. I don't need to prove myself to anybody. That's what I said. <laughs> and uh, as an experienced racer, what you need to do is take a nap. Right. So you get out for 20 yeah. minutes, and uh, usually that clears your head and you're good to go. Wow. Uh, and then the next race, uh, I did pretty good at a 24-hour time trial. I was still just you know inexperienced. I did 368 miles around an 18-mile loop for 24 hours. That wasn't enough to qualify. I came back, tried again, broke my bike. 4 a.m., 12 hours in, I was on pace. Um, cursed my brains out in the middle mm-hmm. of the desert. That was uh, interesting moments. And then uh, finally went back and did that uh, first race, the SoCal 400, and, and finished in like 31 hours. And uh, and I was in. I was in for the hardest thing, I think, wow. you could yeah. do on a bicycle. I mean, for that race, for 12 days, you're just this nonstop 
you know, van and rider just crossing the entire country. And mm-hmm. you know, the van pulls over at 4 a.m. They strip me down, throw me in the back, 90 minutes of sleep. Timer goes off, wake me up, headed down so the road again. So you're, done, you're sleeping every, what, every six hours or so? Or every no, hours? every 24 hours. I oh, mean, that's it. So you're just 90 hours, 90 minutes of sleep every 24 hours. <clears throat> yeah, so I went uh, 24 hours off the start. Uh-huh. started at 1 p.m. Uh, I went 24 hours somewhere in Arizona, took a 30-minute nap, and went 15 more hours, and then I slipped into this 90 minutes every day at 4 a.m. And uh, it's, I mean... I saw it's a little bit of up. clips and shaking you awake and making you, you know, keep going. It's yeah. intense. This grueling, like long standing, like the time that you were riding and the length of it all. Can you take me through like the the grit and the like the mind tricks or mantras? Like what are you telling yourself to keep going? Hmm. Uh, lots of different things. Um, so I've, I think, you know, experience is key, I think, for anything um, that you're doing. And um, for, for ultra racing, it, you know, for sure is. You could be fit as hell, mm-hmm. go out, and you will not finish Ram. Right. I mean, I, I, don't know, I don't think there's been a person that's, that's been inexperienced to go out and do something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you sort of build your toolbox along the way. Um, the first time I did Kona, I remember just looking at this 112-mile bike ride as a vast difference, which is kind of funny now. Uh, and, and I just told myself, okay, just imagine you're going to be pedaling your bike forever and be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and then it, it's going to be over at one point. Well, not <laughs> even that. Out. Just be like, be okay. That it's never going to be over. This and is a new world, yeah. uh, and and then it is. Um, for, for Ram, I talked to a lot of people, so I found out like what are the the challenges mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, I should I should say that a lot of the reason I like these sports. My wife gives me gives me grief for like, oh, you just go pedal your bike, you know, nonstop. How <laughs> so stupid is that? <laughs> And I say, no, this is an intellectual pursuit. And I really do feel that it is, um, you know, it's like you just dive into your mind and you're, mm-hmm. and you're, you're discovering how it works. And, uh, a lot of that, I think, um, is a parallel to post-accident and getting mm-hmm. through it because the answers like are, you know, within you and you got to dig them out somehow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I really enjoy that part of the challenge. And for something like ultras, yeah, you got to be in shape, but that is really the, the, the struggle is all inside of your head. So people were saying like the weight of a continent in front of you just crushes you, right? mm-hmm. 3,100 miles, it's it's fast. And uh, and then they said, you know, anything kind of in your life, you know, one guy, he, he quit, he said 100 miles in, he knew he was going to quit, but it took him five days. And he was just saying, you know, personal life, he's having, you know, marital issues and, um, so in the race that I did quit, I had been uh, in one of the qualifiers. I'd been pondering, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, right. why is this a priority? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I decided that any of the lessons that I took along the way during RAM or any of the thoughts that I had, I was going to take with me to the finish line and then parse through them and then mm-hmm. try to figure out what I want to do from there. But I, I was committed to, to making that, that finish line. Uh, and then I also, you know, really came up with the idea that okay, my job is just to pedal my bike. You know, at 4 a.m. I get a little break. That's great. Um, but it doesn't matter if there's mountain ahead, if there's rain ahead, if there's, you know, downhill, what's coming. Like, I'm just pedaling my bike. And you had to have a really good team around you because they're, they're managing you mm-hmm. uh, and making sure that, you know, don't, <laughs> don't do anything stupid like quit. <laughs> uh, and, you know, that was, that was part of it. Um, another thing that I learned, so training for RAM is is 
pretty big. It's pretty hard. And, and I think getting through that training is what set me up with just that mental fortitude to take on the race. So I was doing um, these commutes to work. I take Monday off, which um, I'll explain, or I think it'll be clear why. And Tuesday, I do a fit my normal 15 mile commute to work, 15 miles back. You know, Tuesday, I did let me make, make it longer, uh, 30 miles to work, 15 back, and then 45 to work, 15 back, 75 to work on Friday, 15 back. Saturday morning, I'm up at 3.59, out of the out of the garage um, by four, excuse me, up, up at 2.59, uh-huh. out of the garage with full bottles ready to go for the day at 4 a.m. I do 100 mile and 20 mile out and back, have lunch, quick nap, and then do it again. So I was doing like 220 to 250 miles Saturday, I'd go to sleep, wake up 259 on Sunday, do it again. So I was doing like up to 500 mile weekends. Yeah. Oh my God. And the thing I learned was how, how you make emotional decisions and then rationalize them to yourself. It's like, I didn't have to be out there. I was riding alone. Nobody knew if I chopped off hundred miles. Nobody knew if I'd mm-hmm. go home early. And so uh, I'd come up with things and it might be my shoulder was hurting and it probably really did hurt. Uh, but I would start, I'd start rationalizing it like, I'm doing this to get stronger. I'm going to ride tomorrow. Maybe I should go home mm-hmm. and rest and then tomorrow, you know, be fresh. I don't want to injure myself or damage myself. But it was constantly things like this. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I just learned what that looks like. Yeah. What does it look like when you're talking yourself out of right. something or into that something? That dialogue, yeah. That, that dialogue. And you're really good. I'm really good. I, don't, I mean, I can only speak to my own brain, but really good at, at, just fucking with yourself yeah, uh, and yeah. do it constantly. So yeah. uh, it's, it's been a huge insight and, and at Ram I knew that and I was just like, whatever, dude, shut up. You're just pedaling your bike. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, when's the next town? When's the next Did you climb? play? Do you play games in your head when you're doing things like this? You're like, you're creating, okay, so I'm going this speed and that town is this far away, then I'm gonna be there by this time and start doing these crazy calculations. I did. I, I was uh, talking with my crew. It was funny because they're like, "How the hell are you still doing arithmetic?" You yeah. know, and um, I'd be calculating to the finish. Like we had, yeah. you know, wow. three days, and there's a big storm and a big headwind, and I'm just like, okay, "I'm doing this mileage." Yeah. How much? And how far? And it's um, it's kind of nice because it takes a long time to churn out like simple simple math. And it's amazing. And then you realize, oh my god, I've already gone like 15 miles. Yeah. I really yeah, accomplished yeah, yeah. something, and I didn't realize it. There's yeah. a lot of weird stuff out there, yeah. and it's it's just when when you start spacing out, mm-hmm. and then you snap back, you're just like, oh, that was such a great vacation. I just, <laughs> <Yeah>. had, <laughs> just got a free hour of riding my bike, or you, would, I would actually fall asleep, or black out, or hallucinate. <laughs> really? wow. Yeah, it's it's a it's a crazy race. Do like you that. think you were born with that fortitude, or did you get that through what you've been through in the training? Uh, gosh, I I don't think I was born with it. Um, I was, I don't know, so unfocused, such a lazy ass. So there's I mean, still hope for guys like us. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> totally. I mean, I, I really believe that um, with, without specific health limitations, probably anybody mm-hmm. could do RAM. Um, hmm. th- they might not be totally happy with what they just put themselves through, <laughs> like to go figure it out. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, but it, 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 it comes down to like seeing it the right way mm-hmm. with almost everything. Uh, something about seeing it the right way, it's like a click and it's, um, it's really hard to put that in someone's head. It's really hard to just put it in your own. I think sometimes you're lucky. Sometimes you're just, you know, you're, you're grind, you're working towards some answer and finally get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's been both for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I think, I think like real change 
as possible. And it and I just said sort for it to click into place, but it's never like I was always waiting for that person to say that thing, or I'm just like, I got it. Like now I'm gonna go out and and I and I have the sense of my potential, mm-hmm. and I'm gonna go discover it and just do amazing things and just waiting, waiting, waiting. Um, and and it's I don't know, it's just it's like you just gotta dive into the struggle right. and embrace it and uh, and 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 it's it's small progress, but like I mean, my first bike ride, I did a 2.8 mile loop around a lake, you know, and some years later, you know, I'm doing. 3,000 miles. Right. Uh, something that like 200, and, I don't know, I was like the 268th person to finish that race and it's 35 wow. years wow. until I had done it. And it just, you know, started with whatever. Wow. So what you, you were telling me about your next project, which sounds, makes Ram sound like a walk in the park. <laughs> Can you talk to us a little about that? In some ways it's, uh, it makes Ram a walk in the park. In other ways, Ram just is a different beast. Mm-hmm. Um, but, an ultra runner, Charlie Ingle, and I, we met on a dirt road in Brazil during <laughs> during the race down there. And uh, it's funny, he, he's better at, at uh, it's better when he tells this part, but we shook hands, I passed, or he passed me going up this steep hill. And that was the first time we met. He turned to his buddies when they were out of earshot and said, there's no way that dude's finishing this thing. <laughs> so when I finished, uh, we had breakfast and he told me that the ne- very next morning after my 62 hours, you know, and, uh-huh. um, and we kind of started a friendship based on that. And so we started working on a project. Um, it's called 5.8. And the, the plan is to go from the lowest point to the highest point on every continent. Uh, so Including kinda, Antarctica? Yeah, every single last one of them, oh all seven. God. So it's it's kind of the seven summits, yeah. except you know people start at some arbitrary point. Uh, I think you probably helicopter in a base camp if you wanted. Uh, mm-hmm. But we're going to start uh, and and ascend the entire uh, elevation of the continent. Uh, we we will be thinking of ourselves as cultural explorers. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, we want to bring the endurance sports to it, but we also just want to see the world and and make connections and see the world by your own power by your own power is there's something very special about it um there's also what i've you know been so lucky to be able to witness and experience is and i'm coming through some you know random rural area and i'm on a wheelchair it's it it opens uh it opens people's hearts yeah and and just get to make these friends in um such a such a cool way so to go get to do that across every every continent um, and to take on just a massive challenge from from the fundraising to uh, you know to the physical part of it as well. So we're going to start in Africa. Um, September we're going to go from Lake Asal, which is in Djibouti. It's about sixteen hundred miles through uh, Ethiopia, Kenya, into Tanzania, and then up Kilimanjaro. And it's a fairly simple mountain, you know, when it comes to the. The big seven as far as it's mm. non-technical um i don't have great mountaineering chops basically none uh, <laughs> so we're going to figure it out as we go and there's a lot of engineering and a lot of experience that i'll need but uh it's it's going to be amazing andre thank you so much for joining us you are an incredible inspiration an amazing athlete but just a, a great human being I'm super stoked to have you and thanks, thanks a lot on yeah. the podcast cool where, where can people find out more about what you're doing and and your projects that you're working yeah on? um so you can find me i mean my first and last name it's not that not that the, easy the best though. descriptor andre kylik <laughs> is google andre hand cycle um and then yeah you can find the project at 5.8 project.com it's the number five point spelled out the number eight 
projectspelledout.com is this Global Adventures website. Great. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much. Absolutely. Let's go ride our bikes. Yeah. Let's do it. Thanks for tuning in to our chat with Andre Kylik. Something we learned from Andre today was just the power of the mind. The fact that he said that any basic adult could do the race across America, they may not like it, but that's the power of the mind and the human spirit that, that he's tapped into, you know, against all odds. If you want to keep up with his adventures, you can find him at andrekylik.com. That's spelled A N D R E. K-A-J-L-I-C-H.com. And you can also just Google Andre Handcycle and you'll find him. He's on Instagram too. Keep an eye out for his new children's book he's been working on. It's called Joyrider Races Across America, which you can pre-order on his website. Got a question you'd like us to answer? The Goop team is keeping a running list for us, so just hit him up at Goop on Instagram or Facebook. At the end of every episode, we'll be answering a question from one of you guys. If you have a question about us or about men and wellness or really anything else is on your mind, just let us know. As a functional medicine practitioner, it's been fun seeing the questions that have already come in on different food philosophies and ways to approach health and well-being. And I love to talk about food and cooking and, well, reality is anything. I just love to talk. So send your questions over to the Goop team on Instagram or Facebook. As Goop likes to say, nothing is off limits. All right, we're going to wrap up, but we're going to close with one question from you guys. Question is today, what do you think of digestive enzymes? Dr. Will Cole, I want you to weigh in on this. Digestive enzymes can be a great tool for some people while they're healing their gut, meaning their gut's not digesting food so well, maybe they're not absorbing foods as well, that a supplement, a digestive enzyme can be a catalyst to kind of push them along and aid their body while they're healing. Uh, long term, the, my goal as a functional medicine practitioner is to get their gut doing it themselves. They uh -huh. don't have to be taking it. That's what I would say. What's your experience? No, I, I agree. I think and there's also a lot of foods that naturally have digestive enzymes in them, like papaya. So in, integrating things like that into your diet is, is a great idea. Can you just give us a, a, like a really, really simple definition of what exactly digestive enzymes are and what they do? Yeah, sure. So there's lipase, amylase, and protease. It's basically breaking down proteins, fats, and carbohydrates. So when we eat food, they're all having these macronutrients of proteins, fats, and carbs. So when you're taking this supplement that has these different uh, digestive enzymes in it, it's sort of boosting your own production or it's, it's aiding it's in addition to your own production uh, to allow your body to break it down. Right on. That's it for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Will and I would love to know what you think about Goop Fellas. If you have a chance, please rate and review the podcast here. And if you like what you're hearing, hit subscribe and pass it along to a friend. To see more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. And we hope you'll be here again next Wednesday. Talk soon.